our series on God, uh, sex and consequences. Sex, lies, and consequences, actually. And um, God made sex. Everybody say that with me. God made sex. And then he said, it is good. That's what he said about everything he made. So, tonight, we want to look at those million-dollar definitions uh, that are confusing to so many people. Look at some words in the Bible. A million-dollar Bible definitions, what those confusing sexual words mean. And I, I don't know about you, but I've read them, especially when I was first saved, and said, what in the world is that? Or, as we say around here, say what? Say what? And so, uh, <clears throat> let's read, and I want to say, first of all, that I appreciate so many of you coming and taking part in this series. I am doing this series really for one reason. Well, two reasons. It's in the Bible, heavy duty, industrial strength, sexual discussions and, and scenarios and so on and so forth are all through the Bible, but also because the culture, that culture out there that has uh, become really so depraved, is banging on the door of the church. And, you know, when I first started preaching, uh, the culture was kind of knocking on the door of the church. But now there's a battering ram slamming in against the door of the church. And the church is under tremendous pressure to cave in to what the culture is teaching about sexuality. And the only way that I know to counter that is with the truth, with the Word of God. And so I want to show you what the Bible has to say about sexuality uh, again tonight, and I'm going to read some verses I didn't read last time. But uh, let's stand just to read these, can we? And let's honor the Word of God. I told you last time that my whole approach is from Scripture. God didn't call me to stand up here and give you my opinion. God called me because my opinion is no better than anybody else's. God called me and anointed me to teach the Word. And every pastor ought to do that, teach the Word. If a pastor's not teaching the Word, he's not a pastor. He may be a, a motivational speaker. He may be inspiring, but he's not a pastor. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Well, what am I supposed to feed the sheep? Not my opinions, but the Word. So I'm going to read the Word tonight. Let it speak for itself. We're out of 1 Thessalonians here, which is the first epistle Paul wrote. And look what was on his mind when he wrote his first letter to the Thessalonian church. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you received from us how what, everybody? Preach to me now. How you ought to walk and to please God. How many want to please God? How many of you want to walk with Him? All right, now let's go on. What's he talking about? He says, for you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. He didn't say what suggestions. He said, what commandments? And where does commandments come from? The Lord Jesus. Now, here it is. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. There it is. Clear as, now, let's go on. That each of you should know how. And we'll talk about that next week. The know-how to do what he's telling us to do right here. That you should know how to possess your vessel, that's your body, in sanctification and in honor. So notice, the will of God is that you and I know how to be self-controlled 
when it comes to our sexuality. Isn't that what it said? I'm glad you're reading it with me. Now, what does he say? Not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who, what? Don't know God. That no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is what? Now, when you read about sexuality and either obeying God or not, God's vengeance is all over it. If you don't obey, I'm I'm just, there it is. God's the avenger of those who defraud. And I'm going to tell you what that means in a little bit. As we also forewarned you and testified, for God did not call us to what, everyone? Uncleanness, but in holiness. Now watch this, verse 8, 1 Thessalonians 4. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but who? But God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. So if we reject the teaching of Scripture on our sexuality, we have literally rejected God. Isn't that powerful? So, Father, we pray that you will be on your word tonight and minister through your word. Lord, we're under attack in this culture as Lot's soul was vexed every day by the immorality of Sodom and Gomorrah. Lord, we find ourselves increasingly vexed and we see a culture sliding down into the abyss. But Lord, we ask you to help us to anchor our souls and our lives on the word. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a great big amen and you can be seated. All right. Now, I want you to notice that the Bible is so crystal clear on sexual immorality. Paul wrote, run from sexual sin. And that doesn't even really do it justice. The word flee, which is out of the King James Version, is from a Greek word that means to run as if in terror, to run as if a monster were chasing you. That's what it's saying. Run as if in terror from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against what, everyone? It's a sin against your body. No other sin that you can commit uh, is quite like sexual sin. Because sexual sin is a sin against, not just between you and God, but it's a sin against your body. It's a sin against your body. So in case you think... uh, because we're reading, you know, about way back in the first century. I know what some of you have thought, and I've heard these arguments. Well, they didn't have it as bad as we do. Let me tell you that the people that Paul was writing to in Thessalonica, but particularly in Corinthian, uh, in Corinth, the Corinthians, in case you think they had it uh, easier in terms of sexual temptation, let me just tell you the truth about Corinth, for example. The Christians at Corinth faced great challenges in living holy lives. The city was known for its immorality. It was known for it. Um, the Temple of Venus is one good example. In the middle of the city of Corinth, uh, hosted 1,000 priestesses dedicated to prostitution in the name of religion. It was a spiritual thing. It was taught in that day to go to them. And a lot of these Corinthian men who came to Christ had been involved in that. And so 
Then they got saved. And Paul is saying, now I want you to understand that now that you're saved, it's a whole different ball game. This is not the same thing. You're in a different life now. And God has called you to purity. But look at what they faced. It was just the cultural thing to do, to go to prostitutes in a spiritual building. Some of the Corinthian uh, Christians had been very immoral prior to their conversion. Matter of fact, Paul tells us what they had done. So let's look at what they had done. He says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? He says, don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people, or drunkards, or are abusive, or cheat people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And what I want you folks to understand is the majority is not always right. Matter of fact, often the majority is wrong. And right now in our culture, the majority is dead wrong when it comes to morality. And so where in the world do we find our truth? Where do we find our anchor? We find it in the clearly revealed will of God in his word and he's very clear about this and so he says if you involve yourself in sexual sin and some of the other ones he named you can't inherit the kingdom of God they don't mix it's oil and water they don't mix you can't walk with God and walk in sexual immorality you can't do it it can't God can't bless it God can't bless your mess God won't bless your mess now what he says next is very, very important. I want you to catch it. He says, some of you were once like that. Now notice that the sinful behavior Paul just identified, sexual immorality, homosexuality, lesbianism, adultery, fornication, all of those things, the, sex, the sinful behavior that he just identified is in the were tense, the past tense. They had done those things. But the practice of all that changed when they got saved. Whew, man, I'm going to have to edit out all this screaming and clapping and amening. And... I'm glad I have a good editor and a good producer. Because what will the radio people do? <laughs> all of... I'm, I'm, I, I know you're thinking. I want you to understand. Let's, let's let the Word talk to us tonight. Okay? Notice there was a, a drastic change in their lives when they got saved. You tell me you're saved, I tell you it'll show. You tell me you have faith without works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Works don't save me, but I'm saved for works. Works don't save me, but I'm saved for good works. And notice how God went right in and meddled with their sexuality, their sexual lifestyles. He said, you once were these things, but now you've been saved. Now look what he goes on to describe what salvation had done in their lives. But you were cleansed. Isn't that beautiful? Uh, you were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you were, all these things happened to you by the Spirit of our God. Now, what is this, the, the Spirit of God called? What is, what is the word we put before Spirit? 
holy. When, when the Holy Spirit comes into you and lives in you and begins to dwell in you and influence you, He's going to meddle with every single aspect of your life. Um, a lot of people sort of picture uh, yourself as a jar. And when God comes into your life, He fills the jar with honey. And all of a sudden, one day the jar is empty, and the next day the jar is full of honey. And God just totally changed you overnight. But that's not the way you are, and that's not the way I am. You're more like a honeycomb with many different compartments in your life. And one of them is your sexuality. And God conquers the land day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. God conquers the land. Uh, uh, he's conquering you right now. Some of you don't like what I'm saying, but you're amen in what I'm saying at the same time because you know it's right. And so we don't go from from zero to ten overnight we go one two three four and when God homes in on one of those little compartments in your life it may be fear it may be doubt it may be a habit it may be whatever it is anger uh, whatever it is a, a tendency to worry about things he homes in on an area one of those little catacombs one of those little places compartments and he says now it's time for this to change when I first got saved, I got saved in the Jesus movement, and a whole bunch of us came into Christ and began to walk with the Lord, got filled with the Spirit. We got turned on for Jesus. And let me tell you something. We immediately knew, immediately, that fornication was fornication. And, you know, I, I came out of the, the sexual revolution. That was the 60s and the 70s. I'm 55. And way back in like 67 and 68, not only did the hippies come on the scene, but the sexual revolution came with them. So it's not like I came out of some puritanical background. I did not. But we immediately knew that sex was something that mattered to God. And we immediately knew that fornication was wrong. I mean, it was when, when, when me and my friends, me and the guys that get together, it's all we talked about. Because we were trying to get a, a, a handle on this. And so, look what happened. In light of their conversion, now that they've been saved, right in the middle of Sin City, they got saved. Paul came and preached the gospel in Corinth, and they got saved. He says to them, now, here's the word of God to you. I don't give this to you in my own opinion. This is a commandment from Jesus Christ. Flee fornication. Run from it. Sexual immorality. Now, his admonition is needed just as much today. I'm going to tell you why it's needed today. Of course, you know why. Just like in Corinth and every other place in the New Testament, fornication, sexual immorality, is rampant right now in our culture. Morality is being loosely defined and redefined, causing many to engage in dangerous behavior. I mean dangerous our culture is in the process of defining deviancy down. Do you know what I mean when I say defining deviancy down? It means 30 years ago, a certain something, it was known. Everybody understood. That's wrong. But now, what used to be understood rightly so to be wrong has, is now being called right. And those who call the wrong wrong are now the ones wrong. 
That's what you call defining deviancy down. And it's happening, folks. It, it was gradual for the longest time. Now we're in a free fall. We're in a free fall. You better grab onto the Word of God and grab onto it quickly and take it as your lifestyle and take it as the Word of, from God to you or you will be swept up in the tide. You will be deceived. This Word was given to you so that you would not be deceived along with the world. God's trying to save your soul, your walk with Him, your peace, your health. What used to be fully understood to be sexually perverse is now being called normal. And, and anybody that preaches that it's not normal are the abnormal ones. That's defining deviancy down. And it's happening very quickly in this land. Very quickly. Very quickly. I'm stunned when I see it. Children are being taught sexual perversion in elementary school. Things that nobody would have ever dreamed. I've been preaching 37 years. I never believed when I first started preaching I would see happening in America what I see happening now. Never would I have ever believed it. Because our culture is redefining morality today, wisdom calls on us to look at biblical definitions of that conduct which we are called to flee from. So let's look at some definitions tonight and see what we're called to flee from. And what, what do these words mean? Well, uh, fornication. What is fornication? We talked about it last time, but let's be sure we understand. Fornication, the Greek word translated fornication or sexual, uh, sexual immorality is porneia. And what do we get from porneia, the English word? Pornography comes from porneia. Porneia is used generally to refer to any sexual sin. It's a much broader term than adultery. Fornication uh, can include any form of, of illicit sexual intercourse. Adultery, fornication, homosexuality. And I'm going to take a whole night on homosexuality because I've got to answer the culture. And I'm going to do it. And it's going to go over the air. Because, boy, I'll tell you, militant, uh, and this isn't my topic tonight, but the militant homosexual movement in America is truly frightening. And I want to look at it, I'm going to show you four aspects of their agenda, and I'm going to tell you what the Bible says about it. And don't throw stones at me. Grab a Bible and tear it up if you want to. I'm just reading from it, okay? Now, let's look at some more of these confusing sexual words found in the Bible. Adultery, well, we know that one, to have unlawful intercourse with another person's wife or her husband homosexuality uh, one who lies with a male as with a female otherwise known as sodomite homosexual uh, look at verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 6 now listen carefully to the scriptures do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God do not be deceived neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters nor adulterers nor male prostitutes nor what everyone homosexual offenders now I know what you're thinking, some of you. The argument is, well, that was way back then before they were enlightened like we are. That was just a cultural thing. But there, see, if that's the tact you take, then you're in trouble with the Word of God. Because the Word of God spans generations and spans cultures. Truth fits in any generation, any culture, 
any race, color, or creed, or financial status, or intelligence, or education, or anything. Truth is transcultural, and it spans the centuries. And God doesn't change His truth for any man, woman, or anything. God, the, the Word of the Lord endures forever. Uh, heaven and earth will pass away, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. That's the thing about absolute truth. Absolute truth doesn't bend. It doesn't bow. It doesn't break. It stands. And if you don't embrace it, it will crush you. Be true to the truth, and the truth will be true to you. And so we have here a book of absolute truth. And, and God didn't say, now this is true for the Corinthians in the first century. He said, this is my morality. And it reaches right now into our time. He says, none of those, activ- none of those who practice those things are going to inherit the kingdom of God. So, now let's go on. Bestiality, you know, I put it up there because it's in the Bible. To lie carnally with an animal. Lust. Here's lust. Lust is sinful longing. It's the inward sin which leads to the falling away from God. It is absence of restraint. Insatiable desire for pleasure. You're living, you're, it's hedonism. Where you're living for sensual pleasure. That is not the call of God on your life or mine. It's not it. But I'll tell you what, it's the way our culture is gone. We are in a, 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 we have watched the pornification of America. And the whole country now is drenched in a spirit of lust. I want you to notice what the word says. It says in Romans 13, 3, because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or sexual promiscuity and immoral living, or in quarreling and jealousy. Now you need to know also that the word fornication, just jumping back to that one for a minute, because all of these are intertwined with some distinctions, but they're all part of the same pot. Uh, Fornication was also used a lot of time in the Bible to talk about spiritual fornication. When people departed from their walk with God, and turn to other things, to seeking other things and desiring other things above Him. Do you know that you can commit fornication spiritually by going after other gods? Idolatry is spiritual fornication. I worship no man. I worship no woman. I worship no thing. I worship Jesus, period. And his, my God and His God and the God that sent Him, and He was God, and He's the one I worship. And our church revolves around Him. Our church preaches and teaches Him. Our church uh, follows Him. We, we build our structure on Him, and that's it. And that's all we're going to worship. And if you worship anything else, you're fornicating spiritually. Now, in Mark four nineteen, lusts can also be other objects of desire. Jesus said, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust for other things. Enter in, choke the word. And what happens to it? The word in you becomes unfruitful when you lust after other things. 
Now, I don't know about you, but life is short, and I want to bear fruit for God. We don't have much time. Amen? All right, now here's a, another one. We talked about lust now and fornication and some others. Here's one, concupiscence. <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard that called all kinds of things. Concupiscence is the uh, pronunciation. It's mentioned three times in the New Testament. And what in the world is concupiscence? Concupiscence is what Paul confessed to. Did you know that? I'm going to show it to you in just a second. It's mentioned three times in the Bible. It means sexual lust, morbid, carnal passion, inordinate desire. Paul talks about the, quote, lust of concupiscence. And in the revised version of Scripture, it's called the passion of lust. And it denotes evil desire, indwelling sin. Now, Paul confessed to the Romans his problem with this lust issue. And I want you to notice what he said. He said, but sin, finding opportunity in the commandment, he said, when I started reading the commandments and they exposed my sin, they defined sin, and I saw my sin on an even higher level when I saw the commandments, he said, sin, finding opportunity in the commandment, got a hold on me and aroused and stimulated all kinds of forbidden desires in me, concupiscence and covetousness. Now here's what he's talking about. He's describing the inordinate affection or desire for that which is forbidden. See, God gave us sexual desire, but he did not give us sexual desire, but within a certain context. And outside of that context, if your sexuality does not come under the control of the Holy Spirit, it can go anywhere. Hello, everybody. Your sexuality has got to come under the control of the Holy Spirit. Or it can go anywhere. And with Paul, Paul got the commandments and he started reading the commandments and he saw what God did not approve of. And he said, I really began to see my sin and I realized that I was filled with lust for things that were forbidden. I mean, you go into the mall and that happens. And I'm not talking about people either. I'm talking about you go into a nice store and you see things and all of a sudden you start hearing God. Buy it. I've given it to you. Use that credit card. I'll provide. How many of you ever swallowed that one? And you get it and you find, yeah, He provides and it takes years. You can lust after lots of different things. But concupiscence is talking about sexual lust. And He says, I had this problem. Now Colossians 3.5, I don't know what happened there. But I think I can still read it. He said, put to death, therefore. <laughs> put to death, therefore. <laughs> Whatever belongs. I'm glad y'all are preaching to me. Whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Thank you. Preach to me, church. Come on, read the rest. Even you guys stumbled for a minute there. Oh, oh, oh. I want you to notice what he says here. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you're to put to death a sexuality that strays out of the context of what God approves of. You put it to death. He says in Romans, if I by the Spirit put to death 
the deeds of the body, I will live. By the Spirit you do it. You don't do it by any other way but the Spirit of God. He'll help you to put to death those things that are going out of the boundaries of what God has in His will for you. Okay? So He says, put it to death. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 5 says that every one of you should know how. We've already read this, but we'll read it again. Should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in the lust of concupiscence. There's that word again. Even as the Gentiles which know not God. So runaway lust comes under the power of the Holy Spirit and you put it to death. Now Christians are called of God to flee the fornication, the concupiscence, fleshly lust, passions of carnal desire so there are parameters everybody say with me there are parameters in our sexuality they're very clear now we have the gospel which teaches us not only what and who we should believe but more importantly now that we believe how we should live how should we live walk not after the flesh but after the spirit Amen? We are to walk not after the flesh, not according to the flesh, not living by the promptings of the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now here's another one, lasciviousness. Mentioned nine times in the New Testament. It refers to unbridled lust. Conduct and character that is unbecoming, indecent, unrestrainedly shameless. And the more I researched this word, I came up with one little simple definition. Lasciviousness is the inability to blush. You've lost the blush. That's lasciviousness. Uh, you know, and, and has our culture forgotten how to blush or what? I mean, they get on TV, they say everything in the world, confess to everything in the world, use every kind of language in the world, and there's no shame at all. That's lasciviousness. It's unbridled lust. Your conscience has become so dead, you can't blush anymore. Mark 7, 22, Jesus said that from the heart come thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. And then again in Romans 13, 13, you find the word lasciviousness. And even in 2 Corinthians 12, 21, and lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you, Paul says, and I shall bewail many which have sinned already and have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication, and lasciviousness which they have committed. Do you see the Apostle Paul says, I'm going to come visit your church. And if I find sex sin in the church, it's going to be bad news. I hope I don't find it. That's what he's saying. Now here's another one, impurity. Forty-two times impurity is in the New Testament. It's the condition or quality of being impure in any sense. It refers to defilement, foulness, adulteration. It is that which is or which renders anything impure, such as foul matter, action, language, and so on. Impurity. Paul says in Romans 1.24, For this reason, in accordance with their own depraved cravings, God gave them up to uncleanness, allowing them to dishonor their bodies among themselves with what? Impurity. When they walked away from God and said, I don't want you in my thoughts anymore, watch this, church. The first sign of God turning a culture over is sexual perversion. He said, when you said, I don't want you in my thoughts anymore, 
I, God, I don't want you in my thoughts, and I'm not going to give you praise. I'm not going to give you the glory. God said, okay. He said, go for it. And he turned them over. And when he turned them over, the first thing they went into is sexual perversion. It's the first place they went. Now, based on that, what has happened to our culture? We took God out of school. We took God off the walls. We took God out of the public square. We took God out of every place, and they're not finished yet. We basically said, we don't want you. We don't want to look at you. We don't want to hear about you, and we don't want you in our thinking. And what has happened to America, in my humble opinion, turned over. Because where's America going? It's filled with a festering sore of sexual perversion. Romans 6, 19, and just as you once surrendered your faculties into bondage to impurity and ever-increasing disregard of law, so you must now surrender them into bondage to righteousness, ever advancing towards perfect holiness. Now here's defrauding. Remember when he said that you defraud not one another, and if you defraud one another, God is going to be the avenger? Well, what in the world does defraud mean? Defraud means to appeal to desires that you can't righteously satisfy. It means to lure or to tempt or to entice, to try to draw someone into something that you can't righteously satisfy. It's a sexual word. I think that it can touch our lives in a lot of ways. Don't be a stumbling block. Watch how you dress, ladies. Let me tell you something about guys, ladies. You probably already know this, but guys are wired for sight. We're wired for sight. I really believe that though women notice attractiveness, women are more drawn to emotion, feeling, affections, words. Men, they just need to see. They don't care what you're like at first. They just need to see. And when they see, they hear God. And so I'll tell you, you got to be careful knowing that, knowing that, and that men are always struggling against lust. And I know, and women too. But men are always struggling with lust, and what men are drawn to is sight. And so you got to help the brothers out. You got to help the brothers out. Are y'all there? Don't dress like the world out there. See, I think there's nothing more attractive than a lady who dresses classy and loves God, but she doesn't dress trashy. And I think the culture has gotten trashy and called it classy. But you've got to stop and think, now the way I'm dressing, is this going to make a brother stumble? I'm not saying you've got to wear a burlap sack to church. I'm not saying you can't go in style. You know what I'm talking about. Men are sight-driven. And so he's saying defrauding. Defrauding, also you can defraud one another when you're dating. You can defraud one another. I'm going to talk about that more next week, so don't miss next week. Next week, I'm praying already over next week. God help me next week. Because I'm going to go where, where angels fear to tread next week, and it's going to be good. But, but just to give you a little... A little um, just a little preemptive glimpse into where I'm going is you, you, you got to keep in mind that you can cause somebody to stumble. You can cause somebody to be tripped up. 
And so self-control is not only for you and for me, but it's for those who are around us, okay? Now, homosexuality and lesbianism I've already talked about, and I'm going to be getting to these things more uh, in the next couple of weeks. Let me quickly just show you some of the devastation of sexual immorality, and we're going to be done. Can you all give me five more minutes? That's, that's kind of a good, let me hear better than that. Say amen or oh me. All right, let me do it real quick here. Devastation of sexual immorality. First of all, it destroys the body. Bacterial STDs, chlamydia, example, syphilis, gonorrhea, are often brought on by fornication. Why would God, is God a party pooper? Does he just not want us to have any fun? No. When God gives a commandment, it is always out of love for you. Always. And I wish this part, I could have all the teenagers in here. Because why does God say, don't involve yourself in sexual immorality? Big reason, destroys your body. Chlamydia, syphilis, gonorrhea, brought on by fornication, that's not all. Viral STDs, genital herpes, hepatitis B, AIDS, incurable. Many people have learned the hard way what Solomon warned his son. He said, son, in the end, if you don't listen to what I'm telling you about loose women and sexual immorality, he said, you will groan in anguish when disease consumes your body. You will say, how I hated discipline. If only I had not ignored all the, if only I had listened in church. It destroys the home. That's no revelation. Marriages intended for life are broken, often beyond repair. I gave you a verse there if you want to write it down and look it up. Children are devastated with the emotional effects lasting into adulthood. Potential for future marriages is, is lessened. I want to be kind here, but I want to be truthful. Who desires damaged goods due to STDs? You've got to tell them sooner or later. Dear, you need to know, oh, really? Hallelujah. Always will love you. I'm just saying, I, I'm being honest with you tonight. There's like, last time I read, there was 36 of them out there. 36 little goodies, STDs. Should you stray, God's trying to protect you. God said there would be a curse that he would avenge sexual immorality. I'm not saying God gives the STDs. I think the devil, it opens the door for the devil to do what he does. Uh, it destroys your soul, sexual immorality. It'll be hard to forgive yourself. There will be self-recrimination. Proverbs talks about this. Quote, you will say how I hated discipline. If only I had not ignored all the warnings. Oh, why didn't I listen to my teachers? Why didn't I pay attention to my instructors? You're beating yourself up. You have regret. You have buyer's remorse. Rather than enhancing intimacy, let me tell you the truth. Sexual immorality hinders intimacy. And affects one's ability to be emotionally intimate. I promise you guaranteed satan's way satan tells you if you want to get to know somebody you begin with the body and you make your way to the soul god's way is you begin with the soul and you get to know them you better my mama told me you better shop around if you know enough 
to really shop well for apples and oranges and whatnot in the supermarket, you better find out what's inside that body before you own it. Boy, y'all are quiet tonight. Now, I have a scripture to prove it. You remember when Amnon got a, a crush on his half-sister, which, is, which was legal back then, and she didn't want to have anything to do with him? And the day came that he basically tricked her into coming and seeing him, acting like he was sick, and he halfway forced her into a sexual relationship. And I want you to notice, he was convinced he loved her. He told everybody, I just love her. I love Tamar. I love her. I'm in love. I can't eat. I can't sleep. I got to have this woman. But when he got her, and it was immoral, I want you to look at what happened. It says he hated her more than he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, get up and get out. Now, if you want a phrase that follows the trail of sexual immorality, and you think you're getting a relationship, but you go into sexual immorality, if you want the one phrase you're going to probably end up hearing, it's get up and get out. Get up and get out. Whatever you pursue other than God, mark it down. Remember I said this. You will grow to hate or you will lose. Whatever you choose above God, you will grow to hate or you will lose. One or the other. Get up and get out. Nobody wants to hear that, but how many young girls have heard How many women have heard that? How many men have heard that? Get up and get out. Now, if unrepented and unforgiven, judgment is certain. Now we see why Paul would write, don't we? Flee sexual immorality. Let's stand together, can we? Now, I want you all to know, it is not an easy decision. It's a huge battle because we're being bombarded with sexual stimuli all day, every day. I'm going to talk about some things that will help in that battle next week. But I want you to understand something. If you have fallen, God loves you and God will forgive you. And I'm proud and thankful to tell you God is a God of a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance. And if you'll go to Him, God will forgive you. And if you stumble a thousand times, God will still be there to forgive you and say, come on, let's, and you might want to surround yourselves with some people fighting the same battle as you. You know, last night, I left church here late, and I drove home, and I saw that there was a guy carrying some firewood into our backyard, and his pickup was in the driveway. So I said, well, I don't want, I can't get into the garage, so I'm going to, what am I going to do? Well, I thought about going to Albertsons and getting my dog a Chewy. And then I thought, nah, I'll go to Starbucks and get some coffee. I walked into Starbucks, and I wasn't in the door when here's a guy sitting there. He looks up, and he says, Pastor Jeff. I didn't know who he was. I said, what's your name? And he said, I used to go to your church. Where are you? And I said, we're on I-35 and Garden Acres, and God is moving. I'm telling you the truth. And he said, man, I've been wondering where you were. I went to your church one time over on Hewlin, and I came the next week, and you were gone. <laughs> and so he said, we're here 
And Matt, this is really something. He said, I'm here. And there was a girl there with him. He said, because we're a part of N.A., Narcotics Anonymous. He said, I've gotten set free from cocaine. And he said, she's been set free. And he said, there's about to be 20 of us here. And we've all been set free. Well, I'm sitting there. I said, well, I want to meet these people. So in comes another one. You know, he said, Pastor Jeff. He said, I used to go to your church. And I said, well, where are you? And he owns a restaurant in uh, Fort Worth. And he said, man, he said, I've been out of church for too long. I'm coming back. And I said, you too have been set free? And he said, I got set free. It was ruining my life. And I got set free. And he told me to the day when he laid the drugs down and the alcohol and how many months and a couple of years it had been. He said, it's day by day, brother. And I said, I hear you. It's day by day. And so I'm telling you that to let you know, everybody struggles with something. And we live in a world that is just sorely tempted. So if this is an area where you have struggled and fallen, God loves you. God forgives. And God wants to help you get a handle on it so that you can grow spiritually into your full potential. So this is not a condemning talk. This is an informative talk. Say with me, God is good, and He's a God of a second chance. All right, let's pray together. Father, we just thank You right now for Your blessing. We thank You, Lord, that You've given us sex in a context. And Lord, we thank You that You've given us the Holy Spirit to bring it under control into the parameters and boundaries that You have established. I pray for anyone and everyone in this room struggling maybe who are right now in an immoral relationship that is taking them down and ruining their walk. Lord, I pray, strengthen them to walk free. Help us, Lord, as a church to walk into everything you have for us. Now, I want you to take a moment. If you're struggling in this area and if you're falling in this area, I want you to breathe a prayer to the Lord right now. Say, Lord, help me. I receive this word. Your word. Help me to glorify you in my body and my sexuality. In Jesus' name. Amen. And